The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Uh, we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Hallelujah. Dude, there's just nothing like the Word of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I'll... Amen. Amen. Yes. Big, yes, for sure. His Word is... I was thinking about that this week. His Word is a living Word. Whew. Jesus said in John 6... He said, my words are spirit and life. Ah, oh. like Jesse DePlanis said, Jesus' words are so powerful, when they hit the page, they turn red. You know, come on. Woo! Like, the, like the guy said to Jesus, Lord, don't even, you don't even need to come under my roof. You don't even need to make the journey to my house. Just speak the word only. Power. In his word. I mean, God, he's, he's got to be careful about what he says. You know, he just say something and worlds will be created. You know, he's got to, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let there be light, you know. And boom, there was. Hallelujah. Mm-mm. Thank you, Father. St. Augustine, by the way, he said this about the, the Bible, the, the scriptures. He said the word of God is designed, you know, by God in such, in such a way that as you grow, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll butcher this a little, it sort of, oh, that'd be all right. As you grow, it, this is a bad way of saying it, but you know, it grows with you in terms of your understanding, right? If that's, I wish I had the direct quote, it's better, it's, I don't want to sound like I'm, the word of God's perfect as it is, but as we grow, you know, for, for 10 years, a certain chapter or a certain portion can mean this thing to you, and it's true, and it's correct, and it's life. And then you go through some things, good, bad, pretty, ugly, up, down, whatever, and you change and grow in some areas, and now that same portion of Scripture ministers to you from a slightly different angle. And has a diff- But they're both still equally valid and true, you know? I mean, that's the Word of God, man. It's amazing. Hallelujah. I just I would encourage all of us, and I know you do, but I wouldn't allow any anyone anything to um, ever cause me, cause yourself to think less than of the Word of God. You know, um, there is such a thing as object, objective truth, and that's not always the most popular thing um, among much of the world. But I don't know. Who cares? I guess I don't like I don't always like gravity, but it's true whether I feel whether it tickles my feel feels or or not, you know, Um, and and it's better to recognize that there is objective truth so we can align with it and be on the side of truth, Uh, not just for the sake of saying we're on the side of truth, but because it helps us, you know, uh, in how we live. God is truth. God knows how God created life and he's the author of life and he best knows how life is to be lived. And of course, that's the purpose. That's part of the purpose of renewing our minds to the scriptures, to the truth of the gospel. To, you know what I'm saying? And so um, I think about also in John chapter six, when it says uh, many of his disciples 
from that point on turned from him and wouldn't go with him any further, Jesus, any further. You know, because whenever he was saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you have no part of me. And they didn't understand what he was talking about. And instead of saying, okay, guys, here's what I really meant. He doubled down and said, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you and no part with me. And many couldn't handle it and turned away. And yet he turns to the 12 and says, what about you? Basically. And Peter says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, you know. Um, Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is, now that's primarily Jesus in that context, but still even the Holy Scriptures, the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Pretty good deal. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 17. Actually, just back up a few verses to verse 9, if you would. And then we'll jump down to 17 in a moment. So Paul tells them here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous... Now, to be born again is to be righteous. There's no such thing as more righteous or less righteous. If you're born again... You're righteous. The New Testament never talks anything about growing in righteousness. It's not there. We, Of course, we all want to grow in the revelation and the understanding of the fact that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And I believe that's a lifetime and probably eternal journey of, of renewal, mind renewal and metanoia, changing our mind and um, growing in that revelation. But you don't get more righteous. We're as righteous as the blood of Jesus can make us. And how, how qualitative is his blood? Well, it's, I, you know, for lack of a better term, it's good enough. His blood can't become more divine, more sinless, more holy. Therefore, we don't become. If you've been washed in that blood, you've been cleansed. Can you imagine if there was a shower somewhere that you could go and take a shower and it kept you clean for the rest of your life? My gosh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. Oh, I don't need a shower. I took mine 20 years ago. And like it, it, it always works. Like you're all, it's ever clean. Well, that's, the, that's you know, like the blood of Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. And in the Greek, that word cleanses is a present tense. It's always present tense reality. It's an ever-present happening. Gravity. Gravity is always happening. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to even be aware of it. I don't, it, it. It's happening outside of or regardless of what I think about it or my experience says about it. It's happening all the time. The blood of Jesus in the Greek there, 1 John 1, 7, ever cleanses us, is continually... Joseph Prince says it's like being under a constant waterfall of forgiveness. Cleanses us from all sin. Thank God. As it's been said, Jesus is a better Savior than you are a sinner. Hallelujah. And thank God for it. Woo! Mm-mm. Hallelujah. So check these verses out. Do you not know? Because these are verses that we've all been abused with if you don't, if you don't just keep reading. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit 
the, the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom. Notice he said people who are those things. See, legalism is always obsessed with doing something. The action of sin. But he's talking about people who are these things by their nature. They've not been born again. Keep reading. Such were some of you. Such, last time I checked, this is the letter to the Corinthians. And in the present, you know, when Paul was writing this, in the present tense here, you've got a guy living in immorality with his father's wife. You have people abusing uh, the communion meal as an excuse to get a meal and get, you know, get a buzz off the wine. Um, you've got uh, fighting over, you know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. I'm, I'm, it, they were really a mess. They were operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but there was some disorder in how they were doing it and, and messing things up and kind of, you know what I'm saying, that type of thing. Um, and yet Paul tells them, such were some of you. Notice he didn't say, you used to do this. What he says is, you, you used to be this by nature. Such were some of you. But you were washed. Past tense, one time. You were made holy, sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. And then he gives some practical help here on godly living. All things are lawful for me, but not all things, but all things are not profitable. That's that there's so much in that. All things are lawful, but not everything's profitable. And see, that's what godly living is about. It's not to make us righteous. You can't be made righteous except through the blood of Jesus. And that happens through the new birth, right? All things are lawful. In other words, that old covenant law system that had infractions and, you know, on seemingly everything, that's been removed. We're not under that. It removed as in Jesus fulfilled the law and now we're no longer, we're under a new covenant. So all things are lawful for me. Paul is saying, yeah, I could drink too much wine and it won't send me to hell, but it may make my life hell. You know, one of those, it's lawful, but it's not profitable. It's not beneficial. It's not advantageous. It's not going to help me in any way in my relationship with God or my life in general or the people around me. It's just, you know what I'm saying? And so... He says, all things are lawful, but I will not be controlled or mastered by anything. Amen to that. Hallelujah. I, we have one Lord, and his name's Jesus. And I don't want something else, especially something negative, having dominion or lordship over me. Can you dig it? I'll take that as a yes. Hallelujah. Um. Let's, uh, yeah, let's jump on down to verse 17 now. I'll just tell you, like, in my years, I've never seen anyone, a Christian who was, who was either bound with a sinful whatever um, that was significantly affecting them, because we all have stuff, don't we? Let's, you know, none of us have it all together. All of us still sin. All of us still miss the mark. 
All of us fall short on a regular basis. The end. Um, but, you know, we've also either been, as a Christian, we've either had sin, sinful things that actually, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know how you say it, you know, dominated, kicked our butt, had, you know, what, I don't know, you know, for a while. Something we couldn't seem to get free from, you know, that type of thing. Um, we've all been there and maybe are there and that type of thing. Um, but I've never seen in my experience anyone who was really bound with something. Um, I've never seen anyone get free from it through, what, call it whatever you want, but through any sort of legalistic, you better change, you'll bust hell wide open, God's going to get you, God's not playing around anymore, you know, all of the threats and all this kind of stuff, because law, whether modern Christian law or Jewish law or any other religious law, it, it, there's, it's not, there's law or there's life, right? And so Christianity is not just, I heard Lynn Hiles says, says sometimes, I forget exactly how he says it. He says, you know, Christianity is not just me giving my life to God, which is the truth. He said, but it's, it's more than, it's, it's not negating that, but it's also more than that. It's not just me giving my life to God, but it's about the power of a divine life that keeps me. Oh, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, when, you're tr when you are born again, you can't get away from that life that's inside, that voice, that life that's on the inside of you, you know? And it's not, it's like Brother Hagen. Brother Hagen has a book called uh, How to Be Led by the Holy Spirit or something like that. It's one of his by far more, most popular books. How to Be Led by the Spirit of God. Chapter, I think, 16 or 17, and that book is called Tenderhearted. And in, in the first part of that chapter, Brother Hagen teaches how it's not the Holy Spirit who convicts Christians of all their, their sins. And he said, that he, he said that's a really hard thing for people to accept and to get away from, but you know it's true anyways. But he said, but it's the life of God, it's your new nature within you that you sense, that speaks up in your conscience, whatever. Uh, the way I put it is we're not made for sin. So, so you know, every time I sin... You know, it's not, you know, Jordan had a bad thought in the Holy Spirit right there, you know, whack him, you know, let him know, bless God, he, and it's not the Holy Spirit. Who would want a friend that every time, hello everyone, I'm not leaving, who would want a friend that, you know, here's Isaac, okay, oh, he had a bad thought. <clears throat> Excuse me, young man, okay, well now he, you know, he, he, uh, he had a, I don't know, you know, he had a bad thought. Two seconds later, <clears throat> hello? Right here. What are you doing? Hello? 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 You're not supposed to have those thoughts. That's a bad thought. That's not a good thought. You're about to get it. You're going to get it. Hello? 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 You don't want to die and go to hell with an unconfessed sin, do you? Hello? 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 All day, every day. Because newsflash, unless you're a self-righteous Pharisee, you miss it quite more, more than you're aware. <laughs> it's like, oh, what did I, how did he say it? Uh, Jim Richards, a preacher one time, a preacher one time said something about, uh, you know, so maybe somebody that was a new convert or something like, oh, you mean Christians can live in sin? Or, and he said, Jim's response was something like, uh, from what I can tell, a whole lot of you are doing quite well, doing pretty good at it. 
my question is, do you know? <laughs> you know, when, like, like we're all, you know, and I want to, I want to encourage all of us to be in your general dealings with people, with brothers and sisters in the Lord and stuff like that, uh, unbelievers. Even, you know, be mercy motivated in your leadership and how you help people and how you disciple people and how you lead them and, and teach and minister to them. I always, if I'm going to default, I'm going to default on being mercy motivated because I've never seen legalism and hellfire and demanding people and putting ev- just every week, putting, you know, heaping expectations and rules and three steps and three more steps and I've just never seen it actually bring people out of bondages that are dominating or controlling or hindering them. I've never seen it actually work. And here we are for 2,000 years, right in front of our faces. You've got Romans chapter 6, verse 14, that says, Sin shall not have dominion, lordship over you, because you are not under the law but under grace. Now, I didn't sneak in your Bible and put that there last night. And neither did Brother Hagen or Joseph Prince. It's been there all along. And then you've got Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. That says, The grace of God that appeared to all mankind. So he, he literally calls Jesus the grace of God in person. The grace of God that appeared to all mankind. And then he goes on to say, teaches us, grace teaches us, being in the message of truth, of the grace of God, teaches us, Paul says, to deny ungodliness and to in the lust of the world and to live soberly in this present world. So gr- law can demand that you change, but it doesn't help you change. Grace is what actually God working in us by and through grace is what actually brings growth and change. Amen? And in in being mercy motivated when helping other people, you know, you can also think of it this way. Let's be as merciful with people as we want God to be with us. Because it's amazing how often we want God and people to be so patient, so merciful with us. But when it's somebody else, bless God, we expect them to get their act together. Young man, right now, yesterday, yesternow, bless God, you're late. Get with it. Well, when's that ever helped you change? You know, well, thank, praise God it doesn't. And that's not how Jesus ministered to people. At all. It's the, I heard, uh, you've heard me say some of these things time and time again. Uh, T.L. Lowry, uh, T.L. Uh, Osborne, phen- oh, just incredible uh, salvation, deliverance, healing and miracle ministry. He's, he's, he's known mostly for his ministry in India. I mean, where it was just miracles. I mean, galore. The deaths. Uh, Brother Osborne went to heaven a handful of years ago, not too long ago. But um, just the deaf see, the lame walk, uh, the deaf see, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the oppressed are set. I mean, just incredible stuff, you know. And um, T.L. Osborne said, when I go to other, you've heard me say this. He said, when I go to other countries like India, he said, I don't uh, preach against 
their false gods and their false religion and all their stuff they do. He said, there's no power in that. He said, the gospel, the good news, is the power of God. In proclaiming the gospel, I am releasing the power of God. Because the gospel is the power of God. As Romans 1, uh, I believe 16 tells us, 16 or 17. The gospel, the good news. See, we say the word gospel so much, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, we went, me and Dan and Adrian, man, we went to a gospel service. How was it? Boy, I'm telling you, they preached hell so hot and close. I mean, we were just all, well, hell's, hell's real, but it's not good news. Good grief. Not good news at all. I would not recommend it, you know. And that's telling everybody they're going to hell is not good news. Good news is the gospel. The good news is what, that you know, literally Evangelion in the Greek, the good news message, the glad tidings. Um, the good news is what's already happened about our sin. Hallelujah. I heard Brother Hagin say that the problem with the faith movement was that so many preachers grabbed hold of it and they went around telling people, you need more faith, you need more faith, you need more faith. He said they, would, they should have gone around telling people, you have the faith of God already. Now here's how you use it, you know? And so um, we, could, we could look at that and apply that in a lot of ways. But even in, in being bound with sin, you know, could, you, a person could be bound with any, you know, take it. We always think of the, the external, real grody stuff, you know, but... Uh, the Bible says in Romans 14 that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Because you think about Adam and Eve. In, in, in a general sense, just kind of lumping it all together, what was the great sin there? Unbelief. The devil says in the Jordan paraphrase translation, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to really be like him. So here, take this. This will make you more godly. Their motivation was to be more godly, to be more godlike. Uh, newsflash, you are the only thing, thing created in the image and likeness of the Blessed Trinity. And it's sort of like the devil comes to Jesus in similar, the second man, the last Adam. If you are the Son of God. Now, if you do the genealogy, you know, the, in the King James, it's the begats. Orla, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so You got all these begats, you know, uh, these genealogies. If you do Luke's gospel, Luke works backwards all the way back to Adam. And, and when he gets to Adam, he says, Adam, who was the son of God. Humanity was created not as mere playthings for God, you know, like, like if you've got, you know, ants, you know, and you got your, your, your uh, what's that thing people do? To, what's that uh, magnifying glass, you know, and, you know, little playthings, flick them around, you know, I don't know. We're not little playthings for God. He created a family. And that's very literal. We're, uh, we're not metaphorically children of God. We're literally, in the strongest and fullest sense, sons and daughters of the living God. It's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. What it's it's rock hard reality. It's fact. It's you know what I'm saying. So I don't know where I'm at here. I'm just having a good time though. I'll tell you that much. But I but I've never seen uh, that type of stuff. You 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 guys you know. I've been serving the Lord you know about 20 years now, going on or close close to I guess I'd have to do the math. But or I guess it has been 20 years. Wow. Anyways. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. You guys ever have to think about your age when somebody asks? Or on a regular basis, man, I have to think about how old am I? Because when you're a kid, it's, I mean, you got all those markers. Now I'm, I'm 10. London's so excited to be 10 because that's a double digit age. You know, it is next January. He's so excited. And then you're uh, 16 and you get to drive your parents nuts wanting to drive the cars. Amen, Rangers? Come on now. Hallelujah. You guys are 13, right? Oh yeah, pour it on them, baby. Just just drive mom and... No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good boy. <laughs> Lived half your life. Oh, thank you, son. Lived half your life already, mom. <laughs> Shut it. Kind of what you tell him. <laughs> Shut it. Um, I mean, you guys think about your own. You ever had a breakthrough come? From the Lord, when you when you aren't really pressing in, or 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 hanging on by a thread, and you know what I'm saying, I you have those times where you're just minding your own business, and all of a sudden, there's just a grace comes in the Holy Spirit and breakthrough, or you have something that you struggled with for. Six months, six years, 16 years, 30 years, and it's always there. And then you're just going along, and it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been two months, and then you just kind of realize, oh my gosh, that I forgot about that. That constant companion of mine, it's, it's just gone. I didn't even get to tell it by. It just left. You know, one of those things. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes people get healed that way. They'll get prayed for, or they'll be believing the Lord themselves, you know, whatever, and They'll just forget about it. I've heard so many stories. A month later, two months later, I just I just realized, oh, that that pain's not been there. Or that whatever, you know, stuff like that. It just sometimes God in his grace, man, just sometimes we quit fighting and there's a place for it. There's a place for drawing a line in the sand, planting your feet, holding firm, and and as we said, attacking hell with a water gun. You know what I'm saying? There's a place for but sometimes. There's also, be still and know that I am God. You know what I'm saying? So these, you know, these things in his goodness, man. I mean, God's just, God is covered. You know, every angle. Hallelujah. Ah, the goodness of God. One of these days I may end up preaching, you know, uh, kind of what I've planned to here, which I'm kind of in the ballpark. But, but check this verse out anyways. Let me at least read this, this verse here, 1 Corinthians Oh, I got, I just, I, I've got one other thing I've got to get to here, though. First uh, Corinthians six seventeen says, But he or she, the one it says in the NASB, who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. What do you do with that other than just <sighs> drink it in? Oh, man. One spirit. And, and as I do my goofy little thing, every time I read this verse, it seems like, it does not say, to me it's a goofy little, but it makes sense, where it does not say you are two, so this is a spirit, and this is a spirit, this little round part. So it does not say you're two connected spirits. It says you're one. In other words, say it the way Colossians says it. Your, Colossians 3, your life is hidden in Christ. Say it the way Paul said it in Acts book, uh, chapter 17, and he's quoting a pagan prophet. In him, you live, move, and exist, or have your being. I say it a lot. I hope it, I hope it gets in there. Jesus 
is our reality. I mean, he's reality, period. But as a believer who's aligned with him, he is reality. So he says, the one who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Now look at what he says. Flee immorality. What did he do? He told them who they are in Christ. He just told them a few verses earlier. We read it. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. All those verses we read a little while ago where he affirmed them in their their true identity, who they are in Christ. See, when you preach to believers as if they're sinners, how can we change? How can we uh, go from glory to glory? As 2 Corinthians 3 says, if you preach to a born-again, righteous child of God as if they're they're full of sin, as if they don't have the life of God within them, of course they're not going to change. It's, it's an identity crisis. It's like preaching to chickens as if they're cows. I don't know how much sense that makes, but you get it, right? It, it just doesn't, it's not going to work. You're, you preach to people as if they have a sinful nature within them, and they don't. Born-again people want to live godly. Yes, we all have times where we struggle. Yes, we have times where we rebel, etc. But that doesn't change your nature. And so as what we are to do as Christians, as ministers, as whatever, is to speak to that true identity, that's to feed the life of God that's on the inside. People don't change by slapping them around and beating them every week. People grow when they're fed, when they're nourished. Amen? As Brother Hagen said, and as Joseph Prince has also said, and thousand and one other people, I'm sure, Our job as shepherds, as ministers of the gospel, is not to beat people, but to feed people. Because where does nourishment come? And plus, as you know from the natural world and life, some things in terms, you know, growth, they just come through time. Just part of the growth process. Sometimes, kind of like when you're a teenager or when you're a kid, and maybe you're 10 years old and you think, man, I want to be 16. I want to get that license and bless God, whatever. I want to be 18. That way I can get out of here and do what I want to do. And Some things, you can want it as bad as you want it, but it's only going to come one 24-hour slot at a time, one day at a time. Some things only come through time. Some forms of growth I'm talking about, you know, only come through time. And so same thing with God. I can want to, you know, be the holiest whatever, you know, as holy as Mother Teresa and as anointed as Brother Hagen and, um, I mean, just as whatever. But some things just come through time, you know, and that's a good thing. It's not a fun or enjoyable thing, but it, I think I'm convinced it's a good thing. Because I'm like you. I want to have it all together. It, you know, <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> That that's for sure. No, no, no. That's for. I think we're all in that line. Yeah, for sure. So, so notice what he says: flee immorality. Every notice what he says. Every verse eighteen. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man, sexual immorality, sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is? He's telling. Notice what he's doing. 
He's dealing with particular person or people that's because the Corinthians, let's remember, they're coming out of paganism. And one thing we know about the particular form of pagan worship at Corinth at that time was you would go to the temple where you would commit immorality with the temple attendants who were the temple prostitutes. And that was a form of worship. Committing immorality with the temple prostitutes was a form of worship to these particular pagan gods. So notice Paul doesn't say, bless God, you call yourself a Christian. You got saved. All that stuff your own mind says to you because of years of being taught that stuff. He doesn't do that. He tells them who they are. You are in Christ. Sin does not have dominion over you. Yes, it used to, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified through 1 Corinthians 6.10, through Jesus. And you are one spirit with him. Therefore, flee, flee immorality. Now you know who you are. You're not made for this. Flee it. But notice, he's, pull, he's helping draw them out of it. it some things take time. These guys are operating in the gifts of the spirit, prophesying accurately, tongues and interpretation, healings and miracles, and all this stuff's going on, fighting over which denomination they belong to. I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of you know, Peter, da, 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 da. And Paul tells them over and over again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He tells them, he anchors them in the rock bed foundational truth and reality of who they are in Christ. Because that's who we truly are. Amen? We are no longer in Adam. We're no longer in the Adam's family. We're in the Jesus family. All right? Now, he says, or do you not know? See, what was their problem? Ignorance. They didn't know who they were in Christ. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, not who used to be in you, but left because you committed a sin. Oh, but he'll come back maybe. No, who is in you. If he left every time you sinned, how would you ever have the grace, the power to overcome the sin? The Holy Spirit, he says, who is in you, whom you have from God. Well, I, I like that because if a man gave, gave him it, when I say it, I mean him, the Holy Spirit, but if man gave it to me, man might be able to take it away. But God gave us himself, the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Oh, he tells them who they are and that from that foundation, they can glorify God in their body. See, he tells them their spirit. He says, your spirit is one with the Lord. Verse 17, you're one spirit with him, but you also have that body. So don't just let your spirit do the glorifying. What you do with your body also matters. Glorify God with your body as well. And it, it's, not, it's not some... See, we read stuff into the scriptures. Therefore, you better glorify God. That's not what he says. That's an encouragement statement, very clearly. Therefore... Because you're one spirit with him, because your body is the temple, glorify God with your body. 
That's an encouraging statement. It's amazing how Brother Hagin said this way. He said, I'm amazed that people go to the Bible and the way he put it was to see what's taken away from them. And he said they go to, and, and what he was saying was that um, they see these blessings and stuff, but they read into it why they don't qualify. They read into it from a sin consciousness standpoint. He said, I don't do that. He said, I go to the Bible to see what belongs to me because of who I am, not in myself, who I am in Christ, because that is who I am, right? Um, I'm trying to wrap up here, but in my first closing here, um, oh boy, let's just quickly look at John chapter 8 and we'll wrap up there. Powerful scriptures you're all familiar with. Thank you, Lord. John chapter 8, we'll begin in uh, verse 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, John chapter 8, verse 1, and I'm in the New American Standard. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. Maybe I should start doing that. All you get to set and I stand up here. Well, maybe I should be like, what would Jesus do? Come on. He sat, and this isn't the only place. There's other places. He sat down and began to teach. I like that. Get me a big old recliner up here and just lean back and preach my heart out. That's a joke, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm totally beyond it, but, you know, I guess anything's possible. If I come up, if I come in here one day and there's like a recliner right here, I get the, I'll get the hint and just, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, it's got to have a little back support, but you know, one of these will work just fine. Early in the morning, he came to the, came to the temple. People were coming to him, sat down to teach. Verse three, the scribes and the Pharisees. Oh, those sin hunters always sniffing out some sin, <laughs> looking for some sin somewhere. Bless God. We'll find it. They brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, verse 5, Now in the law, Moses commanded us, so if we're still under the law of Moses, here you go, you can't wiggle your way out of this one. It's, it's one way or the other. If we're under the law, we got to do this. Commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? See, they're trying to say that Jesus blasphemes and contradicts the law in his teaching when really he's fulfilling the law. Because what does Paul tell us time and time again? The purpose of the law was love. Well, what is Jesus? He's love incarnate, right? He's, it says, this verse 6, this they uh, were saying this to test him so they might have grounds to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Now, people always wonder what he wrote, you know, and he does it again here in a moment. And we just don't know. He, we always think he wrote in the dirt, but this is up on the temple, on the temple ground where the ground was stone. It, was, it wasn't dirt. It was stone ground of the temple. That's where he's at, and that's how the, the flooring was. And so I guess you might say he, there's, regardless of what he actually wrote, which we do not know, and I don't know why I and the rest of us waste time speculating other than it's just one of those fun little mysteries we like to wonder about, and we'll hopefully find out when we get to heaven, right? But it's possibility, you know, maybe... There's some metaphoric or, you know, connection there with, with when, in other words, when God gave the law, 
He gave it in tablets of stone. Well, this is the God who gave those tablets of stone. And he's writing on the stone ground of the temple here again. People say maybe he wrote their names in the dirt. Well, it wasn't dirt, so it wasn't that. And people, you know, so we just don't know. But fun little speculation. If you get some insights, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Jesus stooped down and unless, you know, but just in a general sense, it says he's in the temple and the temple ground was stone. So I, I don't know. It, it doesn't, you know, they could have moved outside by this time. Who know, You know, we don't know. But So I guess there's lots of possibilities. So, uh, wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them. Now, here he goes. He says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. See, when we think in a law consciousness, in a Christianity is just about the rules, a rule-keeping consciousness and that type of thing, we, that's how we think. We think of the rules in terms of how we can use them against others. Are you keeping the rules? You keeping the rules? Are you keeping the rules? Oh, I heard Roxanne broke one of the rules. Uh-oh, not keeping rules around here. We're a rule-keeping bunch, hallelujah. Well, the purpose of the law was not to show you how you can keep the rules and judge everybody else for not doing it. The purpose of the law was to show, man, none of us can do it. That was the whole, you know, that was the point, as Paul tells us. So Jesus says, okay, okay, that's right. So whoever, whoever is without sin, you're the one who's qualified to execute this judgment. But if you've committed sin, you are in the same boat. That's the point. You know, whoever's without sin, and he's the only one, but he's asking them, if any of you qualify, if any of you are without sin, you be the first, go ahead, throw, throw, throw your stones. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he did it twice. Moses, Moses was the first one. He broke all Ten Commandments. Get it? Broke them. Because he broke them. That's right. That's right. I'm here all week. So he broke them all, baby. So I don't know. That could, you know, some symbolism there. Anyways, stooped on the ground. Verse 9 says, When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the eldest, the older ones. That's interesting. And he was left alone. Oh, man. When you, when you are... Whether you're, you know, actively struggling with any, you know, again, we all miss it in a myriad of ways all the time because you're human. There you go. Deal with it. But if you're struggling in a particular way with something, this is, think about this. In your conscience, you've got all these voices condemning and accusing, just like this. But eventually, the voices of accusation and condemnation were gone. And she was left, as it says here, uh, how's it say here? Uh, they went out one by one in the center of the court. Oh, wait, it says, and, sorry, verse, verse 9. They heard it, they went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, and he was left alone. See, that's what we want. All those voices of condemnation, they can leave the room to where we're all alone with nobody but Jesus, the one who's always with us, right? So let those voices of condemnation in your own mind let them go. Let them drop their stones and leave the room of your mind, of your heart. And, and let in perfect love that casts out all fear. As John goes on to say, because fear implies, different translations, 
judgment or torment, right? So it says, he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, different translations. Some say, where are thine accusers? This one says, where are they? Did no one condemn you? When Jesus, uh, you know, however you want to say it, when Jesus is uh, uh, your attorney, <laughs> you know, when Jesus is on your side, when he's your defense, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? When he is your vindication, your justification, your righteousness, there is neither man nor devil nor circumstance nor anything that has the right to condemn you. And there's nothing. It's not as if she didn't sin. She did. But sin does not define you. Jesus is your very life and reality. You know, as an unbeliever, before regeneration, before the new birth, you can do good things. You can give to the uh, the poor. You can serve in the soup kitchen 12 hours a day, you know, 20... 25 hours a day, eight days a week. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can give to all, you can do all, you can... And those good, virtuous, godly actions, they don't change your nature. You are who you are by birth. Well, if that's true, then the, the conver conversely, the opposite has to be true. As a child of God, just because you do miss it, just because you do have seasons of rebellion, just because you do have things you can't seem to get past yet, even though you've tried to, prayed to, wanted to, prayed for, etc., 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 doesn't change who you are by nature. As a, as if I'm a sinner and my goodness in my actions, my good actions can't change my nature, then this, the other side of the coin is equally valid. As a child of God, the bad things that I do can't change my nature, right? Does that make sense? If one's true, the opposite has to be true, right? So, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Ah. Oh. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. See, the power to not sin this particular sin, and the NASB says sin no more. Well, good luck with that. But like in the RSV, in some translations, it says, do, do not sin again. In other words, this particular sin. But notice where the power was. Notice Jesus did not say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. He gave the unequivocal declaration, neither do I condemn you. Now, go. Be free from the sin. Do not sin again, you know, in this capacity. Sin no more. The power to overcome was in the, the, the rock, bedrock, solid foundation of neither do I condemn you. <clears throat> Boy, that's pretty good. He was the only one who had the right to condemn her. They didn't have the right to condemn her because they were equally sinful as her. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, it is not wise to compare yourselves among yourselves. I've heard it said something like unhappy. At the, the root of unhappiness is comparison. Something like that. And there's a, boy, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, um, watch commercials. Commercials will inform you of everything you don't have and why you need it. Comparison. Well, I don't, oh man, I don't have, I bet Orla's got one. Man, I need one of those to really feel, to be, to da 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 da. No, you know. It, and and in, 
in the church, we don't want to compare ourselves because for, for, I don't have time for a myriad of reasons, but we're all children of God. And God in his wisdom and grace, and uh, he has distributed to all of us different graces and giftings and empowerments and anointings and etc. And so we don't want to be compared. Instead of comparing with one another, we should celebrate the uniqueness that God bestows upon each of us, right? So um, I believe I'm finished there. But of course, these scriptures here in John chapter 8 are just absolutely glorious. I, I just, it's amazing to me that Jesus, because I was taught forever and a day, sin no more and he won't condemn you. I didn't know that just to be born again, instantly, automatically, meant for eternity. There is therefore now no condemnation. In the Greek, there's therefore now no damnatory or guilty sentence to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank God. Amen. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.